Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you. With professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Attention, BetMGM customers. Have a friend who loves sports as much as you do? Here's a chance for both of you to earn a $50 bonus when they sign up through BetMGM's Refer a Friend program. Just sign into your BetMGM account and click on the Refer a Friend program to send your friend a message inviting them to register a new account in the same state you use BetMGM in. Once your friend signs up and makes a deposit, they'll receive a $50 bonus. And once your friend places a bet with their bonus and the wager is settled, you'll receive a $50 bonus as well. Share the excitement and get a $50 bonus every time you refer a friend to BetMGM. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Ohio only. New and existing customer offer. All promotions are subject to qualification and eligibility requirements. Rewards issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets. Bonus bets expire in 30 days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. You may start noticing there are strange tall boys of beer in the bottled water section of your local stores. Well, that's not beer. It's actually mountain spring water from the Alps, and it's called liquid death. Why is this water called liquid death? Well, because it will brutally murder your thirst, and their infinitely recyclable tall boy cans are helping to bring death to plastic bottles. They also donate 10% of the profits from every can sold to help kill plastic pollution. 
Those aluminum cans that comes in are recyclable and actually profitable for recycling facilities so they won't just end up in your local landfill like plastic bottles. Go get Liquid Death at your local Woodman's, 7-Eleven, Roundies, or Hy-Vee, or find Liquid Death retailer near you with their store locator tool at liquiddeath.com front slash film study. That's liquiddeath.com front slash film study. Hi, folks. Welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McCusick. We're here to discuss the offense from that fine win at New England. Nice 37-point effort. Here to do it with me is Gabe Ferguson. Gabe, how you doing? I'm doing well, Ken. Thank you once again for having me on the show. Um, I'm excited to be here to talk about a really fun offensive performance. All right. You're at Gabe Fergie on Twitter. You do the Situation Room with Jordan Coe, both close friends of the show, and you, you produce your content on filmstudybaltimore.com, which we really appreciate. Uh, also, uh, want to mention, listen to the situation room. It's out there. You recorded it Sunday, right? Uh, so this, the first couple of weeks of the season, we've been crazy with travel. So we've been recording it on Mondays. Um, we want to definitely get back to recording on Sundays once, you know, we're kind of in a more normal schedule, but it is, it should be up. We recorded it last night. Um, it should be on the website. It should be on Spotify. And if it's not, it, it will be there shortly. Make this uh, one of the podcasts you listen to. Lively discussion always between two very, very smart guys. So I uh, really appreciate it. Let's talk some offense here. Uh, I guess for this week, we're kind of all riding the Lamar Jackson train, even though some of what he did from a passing perspective was not all that impressive in this game. Yeah. Um, it, I mean, he's he's really the, the, the Ravens offense. I mean, I think that's pretty clear to see at this point, 12 overall offensive touchdowns by the Ravens through three weeks. And they're all come by Lamar Jackson, either with his legs or with his arm. So um, he's, he's very much um, in charge and he, and he's kind of um, taking the passing games to, I think another level in in a lot of ways. And the running game, which was a little slow um, the start of the season is starting to, you know, show up again in, in a big way. Yeah. So they've got another big body on the offensive line now. Not that we wanted that. Because Patrick McCary, you'd rather have your third left tackle than your fourth. But that was one of the additional changes that had to be made this week. And uh, we're going to get into that a little bit about McCary's play. Uh, sorry, about uh, Falele's play, which was uh, certainly exciting to see him out there. Good developmental opportunity for very bad reasons at a very, very bad time during the season. So uh, we'll, we'll talk about that a little later. Um, I did want to talk a little bit about the defense before we dive into the offense in a, in a deep way. One thing I really liked about this game is the Ravens did their part on both sides of the ball. But on offense, they got the they got the offense the offense got the team the lead, and then the defense, which had let them down horrifically at Miami with the dime on the field, uh, was able to shut it out this time. And the eight dime snaps they had in that second half were absolutely dominant. There's included three turnovers that ended drives, another sack that ended a drive. Um, they used it actually fairly sparingly. Uh, and, and it was just the uh, yin and yang, the opposite of the game in Miami, where they gave up 13.3 yards in on diamond quarter snaps in the second half. 
Yeah, I mean, that's what we want the defense to be able to do. Um, and it is dependent on how well the offense performs. We talked about this in the past. You know, you hope the offense can go up a couple of scores and then you can kind of lean on the defense to to put pressure on the opposing quarterback to have some opportunities to turn the ball over, which is what we saw in this game. Um, and then obviously that was very advantageous. And I think that's definitely the, the key to this team's success because I don't think on a play-by-play basis the defense is going to be at the level that we've seen maybe in some of the years past. I think they're probably better than what we saw last year, but there's still going to be some concerns there with what just the personnel issues that are, that are pre- present. So um, you can't expect them to really be dominant every down that they're out there, but if they can be you know, op- um, opportunistic and, and make the plays to either turn you know, the opposing quarterback over or to you get a sack, you know, in a key spot. That's what's going to be important down the stretch. Yeah, I I, I couldn't agree more with with everything you said. They're very good point. Um, it's it's this is a the the team may finish last again in yards given up, and it won't even necessarily be that surprising. And I tell you, there will be contributions made on both sides of the ball to the Ravens giving up a lot of passing yards. Number one is. We hope they're going to score a lot of points offensively and force the other team to continue to pass to try and catch up. Anybody who's played a little bit of fantasy football, that does not include me, but I do happen to know this anyway, knows that you know you want teams with you want receivers who are good on mediocre and poor teams, right? Because you're catching up. And the other point of this is that the dime defense, as constituted now, is very good with zone defense, laying back, bend but not break cause slower drives, but also create lots of turnovers. That combination is really, I think, going to give up a lot of yards at the expense of turnovers. That's exactly what a team does when they're trailing. They trade turnovers for the opportunity for additional points. And, you know, it just seems natural that they're going to give up more yards under these circumstances. They don't have the dominant middle-of-the-field defense. They're really lacking the um, inside linebacker crew in particular of some of the past Ravens uh, units. I do think they're pretty good on the defensive line, though. So that's the unit I'm, I'm really hoping can do more than what we've seen so far. Yeah, I think um, that will probably improve a little bit, especially in their run defense. I think that's where they've struggled a little bit more than what I have been expecting out of this Ravens defense because they do have some good, you know, stout players up the middle. And I think, you know, there might be some issues with the linebacking core, potentially that is causing the run defense. And I think it's also on the edge because they, they don't have really the, the kind of the big, you know, strong edge defenders that they've had in years past. And I think that some of the big runs have been off tackle. And I think that's something that they're going to want to improve um, as, the, as the season progresses. But I mean, I, I agree with you overall, you know, it's okay to give up some yards as long as you, know, you try to limit the explosive plays. I think, you know, week one that worked very well mm-hmm. against, you know, a quarterback that probably, you know, isn't among the best in the league. And, and, and Flacco still ended up throwing for over 300 yards. It took him 60 attempts to get there. But then then the next week, um, the explosive plays happen. And that's what you don't want to have happen. So I think if you're getting giving up yards in kind of like the week one fashion, you're very happy with that. You just don't want those plays over the top that can pick up seven points in a, in a hurry. Yeah, and I, I don't think there's any excuse for it. The Miami, a lot of busted coverage situations. It wasn't just Tyreek Hill is so fast that he can run by everybody. I mean, that's not supposed to happen schematically. Uh, it, it was a matter of people being in the wrong place and not knowing exactly uh, how they needed to, to, to play the football in those cases. So uh, anyway, things are things uh, hopefully have recovered, and we certainly attempt hope that we'll see more of the Week 3 defense and the Week 2 defense in terms of the dime. Let's move on to happier topics here, though. 
talk a little Lamar Jackson. Tell me like some of your big takeaways from this game. Wow. Um, so obviously I think there was a little bit of a resurrection of, of the read option in this game. It's more than we've seen um, so far this year. I think it's more than we've seen a lot during last year as well. It's, it's something that I think might be tied to personnel. I mean, getting J.K. Dobbins back in as as a player who's available to work in those types of, of running situations is is something that the Ravens have missed. Uh, we also saw Justice Hill there as well. And, you know, he was also someone that they missed last year. Um, so I think having, you know, running backs who are more familiar with the scheme, more familiar with that type of, of you know, mesh point and backfield transition with the with the quarterback and the running back, I think that made a difference. Um, and, and we saw Lamar Jackson obviously taking advantage of those plays. Yeah, we saw a couple late pulls in this game. One really noticeable on a run right. I don't even remember whether it was Dobbins or Hill who think, had the ball there. I think that was actually DuVernay. Um, DuVernay. On that. Okay. I think it was a jet motion. I'm even more encouraged by that because that was one of the things about putting DuVernay in the backfield last year was it had to be mesh point related because he yeah. was one of the only players who could provide speed to the outside. Well, now, Hill does appear to be a guy who can give you a little bit of speed to the outside, something the Ravens have sorely needed with the string of elder statesman backs with Murray and Freeman and Drake and um, uh, Davis, you know, that, 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 you know, they've just, they haven't had younger real speed backs. They've had a lot of cutback backs and, and, you know, they, yes, they're, they're, they do, they run some zone and you give opportunities to good cutback blocks. But, but if you want that, you want JK Dobbins. You don't want one of these older guys who just kind of has, you know, veteran wiles and whatnot. You really need real speed to threaten the defense and, and, uh, uh, you know, Dobbins and, and Hill, I think, are you know fit the fit the requirement, and Edwards certainly fits from a power perspective. I don't really feel like any of the four backs they had of a veteran quality the last four years, or the last two years, really have have met any of the necessary stylistic needs of the team. Yeah, and I, you know, I think having those running backs obviously makes a difference from the stylistic, and also they're just more explosive. Um, mm-hmm. Justice Hill, we saw in this game, you know, he had some explosive runs. Um, Dobbins, we saw as a rookie, maybe not in this game, but when back going back to 2020, you know, he averaged six yards per carry, and a lot of it was due to some of the long runs he had. Um, so having a little bit more of a threat from the running backs, a little bit more threat to the sideline, you know, threat, threatening the edge, um, that allows Lamar Jackson to have more space in the middle of the field. And we saw him use that very well in this game. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's... Uh stretching that defense horizontally and you know another just important thing that Lamar does when the complementary players are well utilized is to create situations where players run to the wrong spot now the the Patriots tried to take Lamar Jackson away in this game specifically by using mostly wasn't exclusively Jawan Bentley as a spy I think I saw that Adrian Phillips was also a spy because they were using two spies on some plays so kind of a kind of a weird thing, but they didn't even really give up a lot of pass rush to do that. They they just were dead set on making sure Lamar didn't get free, and uh, nonetheless, Jamar got free. <laughs> Lamar got free a few times, and uh, and uh, that was pretty exciting. Yeah, and he's still probably one of the most hard, the probably the hardest quarterback, definitely to tackle in the open field. One of the hardest like NFL players, I think, to do that. Um, just the way that he can kind of. You know, like you've, you've talked about in the past, the way he sees angles, the way he look, uses leverage um, from both the you know the angles that defenders are taking and, and the blockers that he has in front of him, um, his ability to kind of 
change pace and, and go from kind of like a glide to a more of like a, a quick uh, like sprint and short area burst that he has is really a special ability um, on top of his obvious like overall speed that he can put to use as well. And we saw, we saw a couple of very long runs, um, obviously last week and, and this week as well. And, and that, you can't do that unless you have world-class speed as well. Yeah. Uh, he's, uh, he's got enough. I, I keep saying that Lamar really never gets into fourth gear with his speed. It did kind of look like he was being run down by one of the defenders for the Dolphins. And I don't think it was Xavier Howard. I think it was the guy who was running directly down the sideline, but it doesn't matter. It might've been Holland. It might've been somebody like that, but he doesn't really run away from defensive backs in the way that a, a true pure speed merchant. What he is, is I think he's cruising like a Ferrari or a Formula One car, always in third gear, where he's always got to move left at pretty much top cornering speed. And and that's just very exciting to have. And he's, 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 he's I always say he's like running to make the next guy miss. He's running at that speed. So uh, very, very fun to watch no matter what. We're, for, for you fans who are young and maybe even started following the Ravens since 2018, you have no idea how fortunate you are to be living through this era right now. I mean, the Joe Flacco era, we thought that was great. And and it was in terms of playoff success and you know what was going on. But literally, Lamar Jackson's a once-in-more-than-a-generation player. Yeah, I mean, it's a true privilege. Um, he, I think he's a dy- dynamic to watch. You know, he's incredibly fun. Um, player, but also incredibly talented. Um, just a true like one of one type player mm-hmm. um, in, in the NFL, and it's it's you know it, it hasn't always been perfect with, with him. You know, over the past few years, sometimes there's been you know some issues with with the with the scheme, with some you know offensive line issues, whether it's receiver issues. You know, there's reasons why it hasn't always clicked. Like we saw you know a few years ago when he really had his breakout in 2019. But this year, I think things are coming back together in, in t- kind of the same way that we saw back in that season when, when the Ravens you know, went 14-2, and two, uh, number one seed. Like They have a lot of the same characteristics in terms of what they're doing in terms of efficiency. Um, through the first couple games of the year, their passing efficiency in particular. Um, Lamar's still not throwing the ball a lot, but he's picking up a lot of yards. He's, he's targeting receivers downfield um, a, a good bit. Um, he's average at the average depth of target i think is still over 10 yards you know per attempt so second in the nfl so there's a lot of really positive things that he's doing with it um it's not like say he's perfect you know there have been a couple of interceptions a couple of you know put bad decisions i think in the passing games and missed receivers but even with that he's still performing at an extremely high level yeah i i I agree and uh, you know that that first that 2019 season will always be incredibly special he's not even on pace to duplicate his touch, his touchdown to interception ratio, which is incredible, is because he's ten and two at that. But you know what? What it makes it also a little different is the way some of the touchdowns happened. And I'm not believe I'm not bashing Lamar in any way. But the four touchdowns and one interception in this game was not a super impressive four touchdowns and one interception. Now let's just talk about them uh, because you know I had, the the reason this what this is born of is at midweek. On Wednesday, he wore a sleeve on his elbow, which indicated there might have been some kind of problem. So I, I was, you know, keyed up to see, is he having problems throwing the darts that he usually, darts is not the right word, because he throws darts, that's kind of a short range shot that, that you throw at, you know, fairly high speed, but not the highest necessarily. It's it's the lasers that you want to see. You want to see him be able to put a ball on a line 25 yards or throw an artillery shell 55 yards, either one of those. But he really didn't do that. And on the, on the touchdown passes, was shovel pass to Andrews, 
His pass over the top is kind of like a zipper play, but it was back of the end zone. Not a super typical touchdown pass to Andrews, and Andrews honestly saved him from an interception on the play. Peeled that ball away from the defender. I saw the next-gen stats had the completion percentage at 12.7% on the play for whatever that means. So good, you know, obviously Andrews helped him considerably on that play. Then the third touchdown pass was a little one-yard dart to Oliver. So that's maybe more typical of what Lamar Jackson does down close to the goal line is he finds a lane to throw in rather than trying to throw some kind of fade pass or some kind of high ball for Andrews to go get. Or, you know, he doesn't he doesn't really throw fades ever, and that's why he had no interceptions there in a while. Fourth touchdown pass, he put into the corner of the end zone. Duvernay made a great play on the ball, came down, you know, went up, got it, came down, amazingly got in bounds. I had to watch it a couple times before I really believed it. And you know, those are just not typical Lamar Jackson touchdown passes. Yeah, I mean, I the first one was like a, a page taken out of uh, Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes' playbook. You know, it was, it was that shovel pass to the to the trailing tight end or trailing running back. It was an easy, easy play, um, well well disguised, I think. And you know, if you you watch it on film, you see the gravity of Lamar Jackson because there's two defenders mm-hmm. who are who are running at him, and then this underneath space opens up wide open for for mark andrews who's c- kind of coming on this, this late developing route um and it's it was just you know he walked into the end zone it was blocked up perfectly but it's made possible because of lamar jackson being lamar jackson and, and his threat as, as a runner in that situation that's you know what i really didn't kind of pick up on that at the time but you're absolutely right the end went directly for jackson and to, to that end we need to give greg roman some credit don't we yeah yeah he's he, i think um i've on the Situation Room podcast, I think on this podcast at times, I've I have been critical of Greg Roman. I, I think he's been very stubborn sometimes in the way that he's designed his offense, in the way in the personnel that he uses, um, his you know kind of run heavy mentality, um, and in so many ways he's he's gone beyond that this year. We've seen a lot of passing on on typical plays where he would generally run the ball. Um, and we've seen a lot of creativity out of what he's done, but not only just in the kind of the the read plays we talked about earlier, but in the passing game, the passing concepts, getting players involved in different ways. Um, and, and it's been really fun to watch, you know, the, the offense kind of evolve this year and take this whole you know, situation with Lamar Jackson and, and the kind of interesting combination of offensive playmakers that the Ravens have and take it to the next level. Um, and, and seemingly it's, it's really difficult to know what's coming. And I, I feel like for a long time, I was like, this is pretty obvious what, what Greg Roman is going to call on this play. So far this year, it's been much, much less obvious outside of a few small areas. Yeah, I, 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 I'm going to add to what you say, because I, I agree entirely with what you said. I think he's very limited in terms of personnel the first couple of weeks. I mean, they didn't have Nick Boyles. They didn't really have a blocking tight end. They did. They, you know, they had these two ancient running backs. So they didn't have a speed guy that they were really giving a lot of time to. They only gave Hill a little bit of time in week one. They gave more in week two, bigger role, and he and he earned more time. But you know, what I I really credit him for getting what he did out of the players that he did. I credit him for changing to passing with the lead. You know, when that was what was working, that's what he went with. And that included against Miami, even though it didn't work in the fourth quarter with any consistency. They did get that field goal drive, which was nice, you know, with the lead. But they also, uh, you know, in this game, put the game away with a touchdown. Lamar just put him on his back and, and took him down the field pretty much. So I, I'm I'm really happy with the way he's been able to adapt to the situation. I think some of the critics really need to look at this and say this is this is 
this is data I need to include in my judgment of this guy. If you want to hate Greg Roman, go hate Greg Roman. But I, but I, I frankly, I like him, and and I, you know, I'm, I'm, I think he's nowhere at risk of being fired after what's you know happening with the offense this year. I think he's in great shape. Um, I, I did have one other thing to say about it, but I want to let you respond to that first. Well, I just want to say, you know, I think it's important to see that he has changed. I think, you know, that to me, that's what I've wanted to see from him, see if he can evolve along with Lamar Jackson, along with, you know, the, whatever the personnel is and, and really suit this offense to what they're capable of doing and not trying to put a square peg in a round hole. And I think that he's kind of taken that and, and run with it. And he's been able to push the right buttons. Um, it's only, it's only three weeks, three weeks in. And I think, you know, there's still room for probably some things to change, but there have been aspects of his offense that we haven't seen in years past, like the under center part of the, the, mm-hmm. the play action. Um, that's something that we rarely saw from Lamar Jackson in the past three or four years. Um, and now it's kind of a, a regular part of the offense. I, I mean, I don't have the exact numbers, but it seems like it's at least like 15 to 20% of the snaps are under center this year, which is an incredibly higher um, rate than what we've seen in, in years past. And it op- opens up different things that you can do in, in the playbook when you have that type of offense. So there's different layers to it now. And I think that's just going to help keep defenses off guard and it can be allow you to have a lot more flexibility with, with what you have um, from a from a playbook playbook standpoint. So that that to me is exciting, and I, I look to see that being built on as as the weeks keep going. Yeah, the, the one other thing I want to say was about boring offense is that excuse me for a moment. Uh, boring offense was that we need to um, uh, be careful not to be upset by that because boring offense usually occurs when it's working. And guess what? The 2019 uh, Ravens could move the ball just as well on the ground as they could in the air. 80% efficiency basically on series, whether they ran or passed on first down. And you obviously would prefer to run the ball with the lead, run more clock, take more time. You know, all, all of the things about that just worked so well that it didn't make sense uh, uh, to, to, to go away from it. And the 20 team was almost as good. The 21 team, all sorts of injuries. It needed to change. And, and they did. They had to change it on the fly and they had to go to more passing. But I honestly, I have a different feeling about Roman's adaptability. And um, if you really had problems with it, and I know you didn't, okay? But if for the people out there who really had problems with the 2019 and 20 Ravens offense, you'll never see another offense like it probably for the Ravens in your lifetime. Uh, you know, it's 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 the most efficient Raven, uh, two-year period of offense the Ravens have ever had. It's one of the most efficient in league history. And, you know, you, you just got to accept it for what it is, even if you like passing the football instead of running. Yeah. One other thing I would say about Lamar Jackson, and, and you mentioned it earlier about the, the types of touchdown passes. They weren't like some like deep downfield passes. They weren't necessarily darts, um, you know, to to in a closed window. Um, I mean, we saw some of that last week, but there was one throw. It wasn't a touchdown throw, but it was the second throw. To, to Bateman, I think this was, I don't know if it was in the final scoring drive or the, or the one before that, but it was one of the best throws, I think, of the game. And he threw a laser to, to Bateman on like a 15-yard out route. And there was a underneath defender, I, don't know if it was a, I think it was a linebacker or, linebacker, or safety. Yeah. Um, and it, it had to be put on a line with that, that kind of speed and trajectory in order to get to, to Bateman 
in order to pick to pick up the yardage that it did in order to clear that defender and it was a perfectly thrown ball and it and he did not hesitate for a second he ripped that ball right to the receiver and that kind of shows the, the you know the type of passer that he can be he doesn't have to have to be like a kind of a touch pass you know here and there like like the touchdowns they weren't necessarily like the hardest throws that you would ever see but this one was a very high difficulty throw and he, and he put it right on the money yeah, it, it, it was uh, absolutely great to see that at the end of a game where there really had not been any passes that were on a line like that. It was a lot, If you go back and look at the game, a lot of touch passes, a lot of trying to clear a defender in zone, a lot of trying to throw to an open spot in zone where it's not between two defenders, it's over a defender. And it just it's it was a difficult day for Lamar Jackson. But when he threw that pass that you're mentioning specifically, the out to Bateman just got past line. It might have been even Phillips was underneath as a, as a defense, or it might have been Bentley. I'm not sure, but it was one of those guys. And hand was outstretched. You know, you're right. Just cleared the defender. Needed to be thrown exactly that way. And then Bateman, after he got the ball, you know, several yards in front of the receiver, was able to make a play and get I think an extra almost 20 yards yeah. of yak on that play. Yeah, it was a it was a great um, you know on time delivery, and Bateman was able to like you said make the defensive back miss, and I think he did pick up another twenty yards, and, and that's one of the nice things about Bateman too. He's willing and able to aggressively pick up yards after the catch. He's always looking to make a defender miss and take the ball upfield. You know, he's not will he's not going to just be satisfied with going out of bounds if he if he can do that. So that's something that I love to see about Bateman. He's he's very um, I think aggressive with with that mindset and. He's, you know, he's had a few yards after the catch opportunities so far this year, and he's taken pretty good advantage of them. Oh, yeah. I mean, for starters, on that on the 75-yard slant, you know, that was a beauty. Uh, let's keep talking about Lamar, though, because we've got a few more things I, I want to hit on anyway. Um, I, I'll go next with one one piece. I thought the insertion of Fa'olele gave Lamar a lot to think of that he normally doesn't. And I don't know that he has completely the trust level for McCarry, and I guess we may not know again. Depends on how quickly he comes back, um, whether he beats Stanley back or whether you know they decide Fa'olele is the guy going forward, whatever they may decide. You know, they've got multiple things that might happen. Um, but with Stanley, for sure, um, he had a trust with him that the blind side was going to be fine, and he almost never turned his head back there. And in this game, you could see him turning left to see what the situation was after he'd been sacked twice by Wise in those first 10 foul Lele plays. Um, Lamar almost never takes his eyes off down the field. It's what makes him such a great pocket wanderer. And the ability to have pass blockers on that side who mirror extremely well, and the worst you get in terms of pressure is a bump that he says, oh, I have to move it, takes off, forward, right, whatever he has to do, uh, or even a spin move back to the left. Uh, you know he has lots of options he can deal with there. If if he doesn't trust that guy, th- the connection with the downfield receivers is going to be lost. It's kind of like turn your back play action in terms of having to reacquire the field. Yeah, and I mean, you, you, like you said, it was apparent that he felt um, uncomfortable in, in a couple of those drives. There, um, he definitely knew that Falele was you know a bit of a liability at that point. Um, he had been sacked, I think, in the the first touchdown drive um mm-hmm. where where wise you know, just easily beat Falele and then in that I think it was a third drive there was another sack that was you know it's it just not a, a pass rush that should get home that easily and and it did and I think you know Lamar was clearly rattled a little bit from that and to, to, 
understandably so. Like you have someone who's never played left tackle in his entire career of playing football, and he's protecting your blind side now. There's going to be a little bit of a concern factor there. Um, and it took a couple of drives for him to settle down. Um, and I think you know maybe the play calling was was adjusted a little bit as well to kind of help get him back into a groove. And once he did, um, I think it was it was much much better after that. After that, it was you know I think you know there was a little bit more of a run game that was u- utilized. They started using more of those um, those zone options or, or read options, I should say. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was kind of just getting him back into that sense of being comfortable. And I think Faliele also improved um, over, over yeah. the course of the game. So that that was part of it as well. Yeah, there, there were some adjustments made too. I think they they moved to some scheme things to get him more blocking help on that side. I've got more in the scheme section. So why don't we continue with a little more on Lamar first? I want to give you some numbers on bypass rush because it was an interesting thing, and I didn't realize till I did this just a few minutes ago, you know what had happened. But um, versus a three man pass rush, the Patriots did it once. Lamar threw for a twenty one yard play. Versus a four man pass rush, sixteen times they did that. Lamar threw for a grand total of 37 yards on those plays, including the sack yardage, uh, 2.3 yards per play, three sacks, and his only interception. So not only were the Ravens playing a, let's derive some unforced errors from uh, Mac Jones, the Patriots were kind of doing that too, but they were doing it a little bit differently. They were saying, let's rush four and keep a spy. Uh, and that was effective at getting Jackson to uh, to not be effective. And they, they, they did a good job on the back end uh, in coverage. Now, when they did rush five, well, different things happen. Of course, when they rush five, they got either one less in coverage, one less spy, whatever. Um, but when they rushed five, 14 times, 131 yards, 9.4 yards per pass, one sack during that, but uh, that was a sack for minus three. So it, big plays occurred, and it's the kind of thing that would tell you um, – you're 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 risking a big play anytime you want to blitz Lamar Jackson. But he threw for for 11, 12, 17, 25, and thirty five among those fourteen plays. So that's that's some serious big plays. Um, then they, with six man rushing, he threw two twice for seventeen yards. Obviously, a pretty small sample size there. Did not uh, sorry threw effectively with ample time and space nine times for ninety two yards as well. But only only twenty seven percent ample time and space. Not an absurd. Uh, percentage certainly in this game. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I, I didn't realize that the numbers were so I guess poor um, with the four man against the four man rush. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's an interesting thing to put away and note for next week. Um, the Bills tend to also use a four man rush quite a bit. Um, they don't blitz very often, and they, and they have a good defensive front. So that's something to pay attention to and see how um, Lamar is able to, you know, maybe come up with some different answers um, and, th- and it's also going to be on, on Greg Roman as well to come up with some different ways to to move the ball against that kind of defensive look but I, th- I think um, in this game and honestly you saw I mean from the numbers you said they, they blitzed a lot they, they brought five men quite a bit mm-hmm. um, so uh, I guess they didn't learn from the first couple times when they were getting beat and they didn't learn probably from watching film on uh, last week because uh, the, the Dolphins blitzed Lamar quite a bit last week and he also handled it very well. Um, so I think, you know, this is something that was a bit of the, you know, the, the game plan against Lamar going into the season. There were a lot of issues last year that I think we saw when when teams blitzed. Um, and it seems like that was 
a really big area of focus over the offseason, uh, both with the coaching staff and with Lamar, of being able mm-hmm. to identify you know, where you can attack when the opposing defense does blitz. Um, and you, one of the plays you mentioned earlier when, when we were talking about touchdowns was the Andrews touchdown, the second one where he kind of threw it up to Andrews and he made and Andrews made a great catch on it. That was one of those situations where, where the Patriots were blitzing. Um, and I re- remember, I think they actually brought, it might have been six or it might have been five, I'm not sure. But he was able to ID the fact six. that Andrews was... Um, basically behind a defender with, with, and the defender had his back turned. So he was like going, the defender didn't have the ability to really make a play on the ball. So I think what Jackson was thinking there is I'm going to put the ball up and make, and allow my guy to make a play. Um, I thought Andrews was horribly interfered with on that play that wasn't called. Mm-hmm. Um, but he obviously was able to come down with it and make a great play. But I think that it's also a good recognition from, from Lamar and able to see, you know, I have a one-on-one situation there. The guy is not in great position and I have my best receiver who can go up and make a play for me. So I think he's able to kind of identify those types of things now, you know, seeing what's going on around him and being able to make a quick decision and make a throw that that's able to you know, make the defense pay. Yeah. I think that is something that Lamar's been pretty good at going back. Um, I, I, you know, we go back to the Miami game, first game of 2019, he threw an off balance back foot throw that he probably would have just thrown out of bounds normally, at least today. I hope he would, but he threw it to the back of the end zone to miles Boykin with who had two, two Miami dolphins facing him with their backs to Lamar and Boykin was able to break right back between the goalposts and catch the football. Uh, Lamar's really savvy with that, way beyond his years then and obviously still doing it now. Uh, I want to get back to the holding thing as well, because not only on the defensive side of the ball, but, you know, Stevens got called for a hold, but there wasn't a lot of holding in this game. With the Ravens on the defensive side of the ball, there was a lot of problems with the Patriots holding and it not getting called. And does this kind of make you think and I don't know. I haven't looked at this officiating crew to see how they rank in terms of holding, and I probably should do that. But that Belichick's famed scouting for officiating crews might have played into that. I think absolutely. You know, you know, Bill Belichick is one of those guys. He's going to try and find an advantage anywhere he where he can. So I'm, I'm sure he, you know he's he knows what color uniforms that the Ravens are going to be wearing. He's having his guys wear the same color gloves that the uniforms are. You know, a dark gloves, so it makes it harder to see a hold. Um, you know, those t- types of things may seem pretty small, but if it can give you even the smallest advantage, smallest edge, that can go a long way because it was really apparent that there was, there were some egregious holds um, that were not mm-hmm. called in this game. And, you know, like there was a fourth down conversion. There were a couple of holds that weren't called. There was there was a few other plays I can think of. I think OA was the major victim of some of those plays. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, he might also benefit from you know being a veteran in a couple years and and getting some of those calls or being able to kind of demonstrate to the official that he was being held a little bit better i've seen him kind of like gesticulate afterwards a a, a couple times but he he maybe he needs to be better in the actual moment of kind of like turning his body and and falling to the ground or whatever it may be to kind of make it obvious Um, but that's something that he can learn i think yeah, I, I call that Moses Malone football. I, I, now, there are probably NBA players currently who really have mastered the art of showing that they're getting fouled. And, and you don't, no doubt could name them or other people could if, if, if not. My knowledge of basketball is from a long time ago. And so Moses Malone is kind of the player I associated that with from the, from the 1980s. So 
uh, anyway, I, I, I agree. There's certain players, and James Harrison was always a guy for, in football who really knew, because he was short, that he was going to get in the crook of the elbow of that left tackle pretty often. It, it seemed like he would try and do that sometimes. You know, make your little dip move, then just stick your head up in the elbow, and you got a holding flag sometimes. And it's uh, it, it, it was annoying, obviously, and it's something that, that you know, they had to be very careful about. Yeah, but I think... I mean, the Ravens, I don't think, were called for many holds, if any. I know, I know there were a couple of false starts on Moses. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't think, you know, Falele didn't get called for a hold that I can remember. No, no one got called. Um, so, fact, yeah. Those so, two false starts the first two penalties of the year against so, the well. Yeah, I, I haven't um, watched the All-22 film yet to kind of see if there is. You can kind of see more obviously from mm-hmm. that end zone angle when a hold occurs. It might be that both teams were kind of getting away with it in this game. I, I tend to think that, you know, the Ravens tend to not do that i think they're coached to try to not do penalties as much as possibly but um that's something that i'd like to see i don't know if it was working both ways or maybe you know they're just more egregious on one side of the ball than the other well we're probably only going to see one anyway but i will say that tyler lindebaum got away with one and okay. uh, he, th- he threw the guy to the ground uh i was sure it was going to get cold it called it didn't and uh, really showed up when we were scoring the thing uh, he had a little bit of help early, so I didn't even give him a pancake on the play. But there's no doubt about it. It's uh, you know it's one of those plays. He was inside the frame, but it's still I, I think there's no doubt about it. He threw him to the ground, and that usually would draw it. Uh, talk a little more, Lamar. Uh, the interception, kind of a bad choice. He was laughing about it very quickly on the sideline. What's not funny about that to me is not Lamar's end. It's the damning consistency with which balls intended for Bateman have turned into turnovers. Now, obviously, he had, what, two catches in this game for significant yardage, but one of them turned into a fumble after he caught it. I didn't think it was a great call. I don't really think he had control, but that doesn't matter. I mean, he, he, he did not maintain control of the football, and and that was a bad thing that hurt the Ravens yet again. Yeah, I think I agree with you on the Bateman fumble. I don't think that there was enough time for him to gain possession um, and have the ball stripped out. It looked like the defender's hand was in there the entire time, basically, and it was kind of being jostled from the beginning. Um, he definitely didn't make any type of football move. Um, that's generally the term that's used to you know, demonstrate that a player has control of the ball. So I was very surprised that that wasn't reviewed. Um, I, I guess it could have been challenged, and, and maybe you know Harbaugh felt like it wasn't enough information there to kind of do that. Um mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, that, that, I mean, I think that is definitely a, a concerning tendency. Um, it, it was a turnover, so I think it's automatically challenged, right? So it, I think it automatically goes to the booth for review to see if it needs to be reviewed. So I, th- I think that's the way it works. Because if, if it looks like it's, you know, questionable enough, then it would be reviewed. But I think in this case, it wasn't even, like, the, the official never went under the hood to, to review it. Okay, so somebody, the replay official, I think, is looking at that and saying, does this need to be reviewed? And then right. he sends a text down to the field. My understanding is, and I could be wrong about this, but that when there's a turnover on the play, you can't, it's not challengeable. It's only challengeable from the replay booth. That, I think that's, I think it depends on the nature of the play. I, because I think Harwell could challenge that it wasn't in the catch in the first place. Because that's not what the turnover was. That's like prior to the turnover. So I, I think there's, that's kind of a technicality that can be done to say this was never actually a completion of a catch in the first place. I'm not 100% sure on that either. So there, there could be some room for interpretation on that. Um, right. But either way, I, 
I would have probably challenged it if I, if I had the opportunity to do so. Maybe there was no opportunity, and that's why it didn't get to that point. All right. All right. Uh, let's keep moving here. Uh, we talked about that a little bit, the TDs we talked about. The, his own ability to get free just continues to amaze me. Uh, you know, he's, he's, the defenses are all on him. Uh, you know, they're, they're, they give a lot less attention to backs. You know, one of the things, another gravitational element we really hadn't talked about is how the edges are really getting frozen against the Ravens. It's actually really slowing down the pass rush. And so even though Lamar has been sacked, what, I think six times now? So 2-0-4 through, through the three games. It's only been for like 15 yards overall. That's back to better even than 2019 Lamar Jackson in terms of how significant those sacks are in terms of yardage per game. Yeah, I think Lamar is really doing a great job of of being able to move around in the pocket. I think it's been an understated or underappreciated part of his game, you know, since he's come into the league. I think he navigates the pocket very well at times. Um, you know, I think a lot of times he's he's giving credit as a as a scrambling quarterback, and and rightly so. He is very dynamic when he scrambles, but I think he also does a good job of of buying time with his legs, whether it's in the pocket or maybe breaking the pocket and still keeping his his eyes downfield looking for a receiver to come open. And I think he did that very well in this game. Um, there were a few times where, you know, he, he kind of broke the pocket and didn't have anybody to throw to, so he threw the ball away um, or, or did a check down. There, there, was a, there was a play that I think it was a, a wheel route that was designed for, for Justice Hill and it was covered up. So he, he kind of um, rolled out and, and threw a check down to, to Josh Oliver and was able to you know pick up positive yardage on that play. So he just kind of being you know playing within himself, playing within within the offense, not trying to do too much. I think that was one of the big issues we saw last year was was Lamar. I think felt the need to kind of make every single play and do it kind of outside of the framework of the offense, and that led to a lot of bad decisions and a lot of turnovers. Um, and and so far through you know three weeks of this year, I think he's kind of played within himself a little bit more, been a little bit more aware of of what options are available to him, whether it's a check down, whether it's a throw away, maybe you know pick up five yards with with your legs and and sit down with, with the ball and and not worry about getting you know a twenty yard play out of it. Um, so I think those are all very good things and and he was able to. Exp- escape out of a few quick pressures in this game and and i think there could a, a lesser quarterback could have been sacked you know seven eight nine times in, in this game and he avoided a lot of that yeah i, I agree completely he did a very good job even even with the um scary situation on the left side of being able to move around in that pocket so let's continue let's move on to some scheme issues because i think there were a few in this game and a lot of the roman stuff is going to come out here but one of the things that really stood out, particularly in grading the offensive line, is that the Ravens pulled from right to left a lot more than normal. They are normally an extreme right-handed power team. That means left guard pulls to right and not the other way around. Zeitler, you know, he's an open-the-front-gate player, uh, you know, very technically sound, able to torque that defender opposite him, particularly with help, extremely good at it. And you know, it's, it, it was surprising to see the Ravens go the other way. You know, the more I thought about it and, and, and looked at the score sheet in terms of where it was developing and whatnot, it looks like it really was an artifact of Fa'olele being in the game. Is that they said, look, Daniel can down block. Mm-hmm. He can give us a, a decent down block on that defensive tackle. Then he can move up to level two and he can try and seal. But but he's not able to do a whole lot of other things for us in the run game. And he ended up making a, a, you know, a few level two blocks look pretty good, actually, moving people in level two. But, but the, what the run game was really then built on was Zeitler making hay, moving in the other direction, and, and getting some key blocks. He did give up one pressure 
on a on a pull, which kind of reduced his pull score. But overall, very good job, I thought, by him uh, pulling and adapting to this uh, change in need created by the left tackle situation. Yeah, I think I think maybe it's a little bit of like the early Orlando Brown treatment when he was obviously mm-hmm. at right tackle, but kind of given the same type of assignments, you know, down block, um, steal the edge, you know, seal off that, whether it's the defensive line and sometimes you're going to ask to, to climb up to the second level and see, you know, seal a linebacker who's scraping across. Um, I think Falele, you know, with his size, with his kind of just physical ability on on the edge, when he's not asked to do a lot of, of movement, he can be very intimidating. And I think it worked pretty effectively in a, in a lot of the, the those, you know, gap kind of or, or pool plays that the Ravens had. Um, I did want to ask you about the pools um, and to see if Tyler Linderbaum, how, how he, how involved he is in, in the pooling numbers, because I, I didn't chart that, okay. but I'm curious about that. Maybe something you were going to talk about later. Yeah, absolutely. So when we talk about the offensive line, we'll definitely get to that. But I, I tell you right now, Linderbaum was one of one pulling and it came on a counter. So he's a, you know, part of a two man pull is that means he, mm-hmm. he uh, the Ravens didn't run anything where where he pulled. Now that said, Tyler Linderbaum's absolutely critical to the Ravens' counter schemes because they did a lot of two man pulling in this game. And when he does, when that happens, Tyler Linderbaum necessarily has to take an extremely flat angle and move out quickly. Uh, his ability to do that was really key in this game. I thought he did a very good job. I mean, he did a good job overall as a pass blocker, being more balanced than he normally had been. But, uh, you know, we'll, we'll get to that. He's got a good okay. grade coming up during the during the time. And, yeah, it's, uh, he, they didn't really use him too much. It was, it was mostly still Powers and Zeitler and the, and the counters from tackle and guard as well, but, uh, but not, too much from, not too much from Linderbaum. Okay. So the other thing that comes up week after week, and I just I stand here in disbelief. Actually, I'm sitting, but I sit here in disbelief with the number of extra inline players or extra heavies the Ravens are putting in on a per play basis. So you can look at this two different ways. One is you, you count the number of players who are uh, tight ends, fullbacks, or sixth offensive linemen. Two point thirty five per game this week. Two point thirty nine per game last week. The highest last season was two was 1.96 versus the Chargers, I think. Okay, I'm not 100% sure of that, but I, I believe that was the highest of last year. Um, I, I, it, it's just incredible to me how heavy this offense has become. I think this is the heaviest the Ravens offense has been in their history. And the other fact that goes along with that is they played only 11% 11 personnel in three games. Just absurd. That's the most common package in the NFL. If you're the Buffalo Bills, you run it over 70% of the time. Yeah, it's it's really remarkable, and part of that might be you know a personnel thing. The Ravens really only have you know three to four wide receivers that they trust right now. Um, I I think, and this might be kind of a semantics thing, but from what I've seen a lot, and it's not, I'm not gonna say this is 100, percent but a lot of what they're doing with Isaiah likely is using him as a wide receiver. Frankly, yeah. and I I know he he's a tight end in name, and and he has a he is used in line at times and and you can align him in a few different ways because of, you know, his size and what he brings and, and, they will, and the ability to kind of, um, you know, dictate personnel with him being there was a tight end. But if, if you consider him as a wide receiver, I think it's slightly more of a, like a probably around like a 30 to 40 percent with with that 11 personnel range. OK, so here's what I'd say is the important question. If you if you want to make that distinction, and that is, what do opposing defensive coordinators really consider him to be? 
Do they put an extra safety on the field? Do they put an extra corner on the field? If they say they put an extra corner on the field because, hey, that's their third receiver, that's not a second tight end, well, then you're right. Then then you just, if, if they put on extra heavies, well, then likely it's causing matchup problems by his presence and, and the Ravens are deriving value from these heavy formations. Yeah, so I, I probably should go and chart that because I think it's interesting. Um, from what I've, what I've seen in this game, it looked like they were playing a lot of nickel when 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 likely was in there um and that might not be in every single aspect and i'm not sure if it was always a safety or if it was a third cornerback but mm-hmm. i think that is what a lot of teams are doing when they're in that 12 personnel with with likely and andrews and two wide receivers and, and, a, and a running back which by the way was a very effective personnel package for the Ra- ravens in this game um so whether or not teams are you know using uh, a nickel or using a base it didn't seem to matter because the Ravens were picking up some big plays in in that uh, personnel design but going back to the heavy personnel and and really the true heavy there is a lot of that as well we've seen a lot of 22 with two running backs and two tight ends or I should say a running back a fullback and two tight ends um and you know there have been three tight ends on the field at times um you know Ricard is kind of four tight ends yeah with Josh Oliver um they had they had this I mean they had four active this week but they had Four snaps of 14 personnel against the Dolphins. Wow. They were all short yardage kind of plays. Fa'a Lily was the extra tight end. So, you know. So, I mean, in this game in particular, though, I thought what I was really impressed by, and to contrast to what happened last week, when they had those heavy personnel packages, they actually ran the ball quite well, which is Mm -hmm. something that had been a bit of a struggle in the first two weeks when they were in those heavy packages in the, in the jumbo um, they were struggling in, in a lot of those run running game looks. And in this game, they really had some big explosive plays out of those personnel packages. I, I don't know if you heard this, but I want to want to get your take on it. If you did Harbaugh came out after the fact, talking about the Ravens inability to run for a yard when they needed a yard against the dolphins in particular, because they needed, they had a chance to seal that game up early with one extra touchdown when Lamar ended up fumbling, but they had other opportunities during that game. And I think they might've had four or even five and one plays or, you know, goal line and two plays kind of thing. Um, but he said, I don't think we're doing, I don't think we're lining up in the wrong formation or something. I don't remember his exact words, but I think we need to be more creative about how we attack those situations. It almost seemed to be like a direct hit on Roman and something you don't normally hear. And that was a game, of course, they, they ran up and had Andrews take a direct snap under center and, and run the ball. Yeah, that, that got a chuckle out of me when I saw that happen. Um, worked pretty well. Um, you know, And they also had a nice kind of a little inside handoff to Ricard that, that worked well in that Dolphins game as well. But when it was handing off to a running back or when it was Lamar trying to keep it, um, frankly, it just looked like they weren't able to sustain blocks um, mm-hmm. at the point of attack. Um, and it was sometimes on the offensive line, um, you know, there's a few missed blocks, I think, by Moses in that game. And then the tight ends, I think, you know, sometimes they were doubling and they weren't able to kind of move off the, the, the double to, 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 you know, get to the second level and block a linebacker and allowed for, you know, a, a free runner to get in the hole and stop mm-hmm. the play. So it seemed like they kind of went away from that just kind of man-on-man approach in this game and used a little bit more of some... You know, they, they pulled, I think, a little bit better in this game. They were a little bit cleaner when they were doing that. Um, and they just had a better responsibility from from individual players doing, doing their jobs better in this game in particular. And th- that really matters. Just being able to execute your block is, is sometimes the difference between, you know, losing a yard on a play and picking up, you know, a yard. And that's an important 
thing to consider when you're in, in these short yard situations. Yeah, absolutely. I, uh, uh, it, I, I couldn't agree more in terms of, of scheme. Boyle came back for this game. Now, one of the things I was really excited about was that he was going to add their, to their ability with having a seventh heavy on the field. So you have your five linemen. You have Ricard back in the backfield where I think he can do you the most good. And you have Boyle on one edge, almost like a sixth offensive lineman, but hopefully someone who gives you a little bit of flexibility to catch a pass, maybe even late out of the backfield on an extended play. And they only played him four snaps. In fact, he was out-snapped by Josh Oliver, 24-4. to you know, when the inactive list came out is why the hell is Josh Oliver active? All kinds of crazy things went up there like, oh, they're planning to trade him so they need to showcase him. Well, that's crap. <laughs> they're not going to lose a week three game you know, yeah. over the opportunity to get a seventh round conditional pick for Josh Oliver. Yeah, I was really surprised by Boyle being active and not playing him. I, I, I don't know if it was kind of like a late decision that he, he something didn't feel right and he wasn't able to go. Um, I did, you know, make a mental note that this was in the same location, the New England Patriots, Foxborough, where he was injured two years ago. Mm. Um, so I don't know if there was some kind of like homage to, you know, you got hurt here, now you can come back and play in the same stadium where, where you were injured. Um, but I, I, I thought maybe he would be like a pregame captain. I didn't notice if he was. Um, and that would be an active player who would, who would do that. But if you if that's the reason for activating him, that, that to me is not a great reason. I, I, it seems strange to just keep him active for, for no, not playing. Um, they had healthy scratches in the games. So yeah. they, they healthy scratched Kenyon Drake and somebody, some, Worley, for example, would have been another player. Brent but, Urban. They had other special teams players. Uh, you, you said somebody else. Uh, Brent Urban was also healthy scratch. Brent, he's Brent he's Urban, not a special yeah. teams player, but he could have been used in this game for sure. I mean, great point. I mean, if if you're making the choice between a fourth tight end and a sixth defensive lineman, how do you get that wrong? Yeah. I mean, you know, it's how many times have the Ravens been burned by being a man short on the defensive line? Yep. I don't know how you're ever going to be short having four tight ends, uh, and you're rarely short having three because you know a lot of the plays that you want to run even three tight ends on are, are short yardage plays where you can substitute with an offensive lineman. So it's not like, you know, there aren't other options in that. There's no other option. If you don't have a defensive lineman, you're hosed. Uh, and so it's, uh, yeah, I, I agree with you completely. I would have much rather seen Urban active. And I, I hope the rest of the season now we're going to see, I think we probably will, because I'm afraid Pierce, I haven't heard yet, but is anything about Pierce? I haven't heard either. Um, I think they're waiting on the results of an MRI. Um, not good. So if it's if that's in question, um, you know, I think I did hear that maybe there would be a decision by Pierce. So there might be like an optional surgery you could potentially do. I don't know if it's like a, a, like a Tommy John type situation. I don't want to speculate on it, but um, it, it's definitely not great because he's been really sound up front for the Ravens. Um, and I think they'll miss him. Um, although they do have, I think, decent depth at the offensive line, so it's not necessarily the the worst place to lose a starter, but it would be disappointing to to have him lost for the season. Yeah, absolutely. And and Urban's, you know, substitution is not necessarily on the on the true interior of the yeah. line, but they ended up way overplaying Campbell, and Urban was a guy who could have taken some of Campbell's edge snaps effectively. So they had an open edge with one outside linebacker on a lot of plays. Yeah, sure, they had Harrison playing off ball and other things, but I mean, you really could have used a big physical run defender to to take an edge spot there, and, and they didn't have it. So it was a shame that uh, that Brent Urban was active. Hopefully he will be going forward. 
Yeah, I, th- I think you know if, if Pierce is is done for the season, I think Urban will absolutely be a, a every week kind of player, and he'll probably be you know a steady part of the rotation as well. Um, we might also see uh, our favorite preseason wonder Isaiah Mack caught up from the from the practice squad and, and be. being part of the active roster. Yeah, it could be. I mean, it wouldn't hurt to have the extra player. He's a little undersized to play the nose, but uh, you know, he certainly is another guy who can have it as a three tech. Maybe Roderick Washington takes over a little more nose. Either way, the Ravens end up being a little undersized. They're going to really need Travis Jones to step up if Pierce is uh, is out. I think he has a chance to work. It's just they missed an opportunity now to play those two together in a way I thought it could have been really fun to watch. Yeah, yeah, that's that's the sad part because you know I think you know Pierce was like I said he was playing at a very high level, um, making an impact in the past game, stout against the run, um, and then you added another body body like like Travis Jones, and you have you know. A potential really difficult, um, you know, r- really strong run defense, I should say, and that's an area where there have been some some issues early on in the season. So, not having Pierce is definitely not going to help fix that. All right, uh, twelve set blockers, chip seven chip blockers, point seven zero per play. Kind of a moderation of what they've done in previous games. They had twenty five and five, uh, almost one point zero. Um, it might have been actually. It might have been thirty on twenty nine last week, but whatever it was, it was it was very close to one point zero per play. So down a little bit this week. Again, I think a lot of that is Fa'alele, particularly the chip blocks, even more than the set blocks. They're trying to get somebody over there uh, to, to to put a body uh, on in front of Fa'alele, so he's you know can react to that, be the second hit, do something. Um, but anyway, it, it, different scheme element and something they're obviously trying to protect a player there. Uh, so I understand it. They had actually been protecting Moses. They did a little bit less of that this week, but still some. So uh, it, it's good to see Moses, who had a pretty good game on his own this week, uh, you know, still play well. I'll tell you what we're, we're going to do. If, if you do anything to say about that before I move on here? No, just just the one thing I'll say is I think that's what you should do when you have a player who's a little bit suspect, whether it's you know Patrick McCarry who's not played much left tackle or, or Falele who's not played any left tackle. Um, giving them a little extra help, especially when they're starting to get acclimated to the game, is important, I think, and taking a little bit less pressure off of them. If we, if we had to talk schematically about how the Ravens are going to approach Von Miller coming up, what, what would you do to, to try and slow him down? I mean, I, I, he, you know, he's played on both sides, but he presumably is probably going to play more opposite the left tackle in this game, particularly if that's the naked side, I would really expect him to stay there. Uh, but, you know, even if you cover that up, wouldn't you be also tempted to get Von Miller over there to work on a tight end? And then, hey, if it's the left tackle, it's it's Fatalele at least. Um, I would activate Ronnie Stanley, and that would be my solution. No. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, I would I would probably just do, do pretty much the same thing um, that as bringing in an extra help. I, I think you would hope that he. I mean, I, I think he's he's difficult to you know for one player, even the best of tackles. Um, but I think definitely if, if he's going to be lined up over Falele a lot, I would, you know, have an extra blocker there almost, almost every play. Um, if you, if you can allow it. And, and there's different ways you can, you can scheme and you can slide protections and things like that as well. Mm-hmm. But I think you, you definitely don't want him ISOed as on, on your probably weakest link um, as much as possible. You want to, you want to give some help there. Great thoughts. We'll come back. We'll talk about the offensive line uh, in about two minutes. Uh, We're at that point where we need to take a quick break. He is at Gabe Fergie on Twitter. Make sure you give him a follow and come back and join us for part two. 
Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.